Praise God. Now it's time to receive the Word of God. Our speaker today is none other than our youth pastor. So please welcome him this morning, Pastor DJ Barrios. Good morning. Good morning. Are we blessed this morning? Amen. Welcome to those who are here for the first time. And before we go to God's word this morning, I just felt the burden to pray for Sister Daphne uh, Digoma, uh, the wife of the late Pastor Joel Digoma. Uh, I think many of you know uh, Pastor Joel Digoma, uh, or who passed away a few months ago, and his wife had a stroke yesterday. So we, we want to pray for her. Uh, the pastors are praying for her. But why not as a church as well? No, why not we support her um, and the family by praying for them this morning? And so why not let's all stand together uh, as we pray for her and for, for her family. Uh, it's very sad because they have two kids and still very young. I think one is high school and the other one still is in elementary. And also so pray for Pastor Mel together with the team. Uh, they are now in Israel for a study tour. Let's pray for them as well. And if ever you know somebody right now in need of prayer, and while, while we pray, uh, pray for that person as well. Okay? Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we, we humble ourselves, Lord, this morning before you. For who are we, Lord, that you are mindful of us? There's no one like you, O oh God. You're transcendent, powerful, almighty God. And so, Lord, no one can compare you. No one can rival you. No one, Lord, is equal to you, O oh God. And Father, this morning, we just recognize, O oh Lord, that before you, Lord, we are but weak. In fact, Lord, we are nothing. Father, this morning, we recognize, O oh God, that steadfast is your love that endures forever. That your mercies are new every morning. We recognize, O oh Lord, that in you we live and have our being. That you numbered our days, O oh God. So, Lord, today we lift up to you, Sister Daphne. Lord, you know her situation right now, and nothing ever comes as a surprise to you, O Lord. For we believe, O God, that all things work together for good. And so, Lord, we pray that may you sustain her. Lord, we pray that even right now as she's being taken care by the doctors and Nurses, O oh Lord, we pray that may you guide them, O oh Lord. And we even ask, O oh God, for healing. Lord, if this pleases you, O oh Lord, and if this is your will, O oh God, for her to be healed from this, Lord, then let healing come upon her, Lord, even this morning. And we even pray, Lord, for the whole family, Lord. We pray for comfort. We pray, Lord, that right now may you just Speak to them, O Lord. May your peace be upon them, O God. We even pray for, those, for the two kids, O Lord, right now. 
We pray that may you surround them, Lord, with brothers and sisters from the church, O Lord God. With moms and dads, O Lord, in the church that who can just be there and support them and encourage them. We even pray, Lord, for financial support as well to the family. And Lord, we lift up Sister Daphne to you, O God. Be glorified, be magnified. We also pray, Lord, for Pastor Mel and the rest of the team, Lord, right now. We pray, Lord, that as they move from one place to another, Lord, as they have their study tour, we pray, Lord, for your protection to be upon them. We pray, Lord, that let the, this trip, oh God, be meaningful, Lord, to each of them. That, Lord, they will encounter afresh, oh God, your, your glory, your goodness, oh God. And even as they trace, Lord, the steps of your steps, oh God, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that may you just speak to them, oh Lord God. We pray that, that Lord, whatever they will learn from that place, oh God, it will just fan the passion in their hearts, oh Lord. And even, Lord, as they come back, even as they share their stories with us, may it also, Lord, inspire us as well. And so, Lord, we commit them to you. And even this time, as we meditate your word, Lord, we pray for your wisdom. We ask, O oh God, that may you illumine our hearts and minds, O oh Lord. And I pray, Lord, and submit myself to you as well. I pray, Lord, that these people, your people here this morning, as they listen, O oh God, May they not just hear from a man, but may they hear, Lord, directly from you, O oh God. I pray, Lord, that may you speak in a very personal and meaningful way this morning. And Lord, I pray then that may you go beyond your servant. Go beyond, O oh God, even the weaknesses of your servant. For you are able to do exceedingly and mightily more than we could ask and imagine. And I trust you, Lord, that your word will never return to you null and void but will always accomplish the very purposes you have set for it. Father, whatever will be achieved, to you be the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, or take your Bible and open it to Zechariah chapter 2. We're going to meditate Zechariah chapter 2. And let's, let's read the whole chapter. Or take your e-Bibles and swipe it to Zechariah chapter 2. And let's read the whole chapter. And you can also read from the screen. By the way, in reverence to God's word, can we just stand once again? And uh, as we read the word of God this morning. Zechariah chapter 2, starting verse 1. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward. And another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts after his glory sent me 
to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your meads, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in, his holy, in the holy land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. I entitled the message this morning, Behold Our God and Future. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord. I saw a post from a brother in the Lord in Facebook which read, In an hour of news reporting, can it, feat, can it, not, or can it not feature even 15 seconds worth of good news? And so because of that post, I, I asked him uh, why he posted that and what he felt at the time. And he said that he was just surprised and I think was also confused by that. And you and I know that even us today, as we listen to the news, as we listen to their TV reports, what we get is the, the kind of reports that we get today will just make it more depressing, will make, make it disappointing that we find the reports today more upsetting than bright. And even, or what it seems to be good news today it seems like it's elusive. You may hear something good, but it's not what you usually will hear over the radio or TV. And out of the 10 reports, let's just say out of the 10 reports, at least, or there's just one exciting news or at times even none. And just like what this brother in the Lord vented out in Facebook. Well, I don't know if this is what the media loves to report, but the fact that today it is what we always hear or see makes it demoralizing, depressing, or disheartening. And you know what? Even in church or in ministry, there are also discouraging situations or issues that we could also face. I remember this church whose leaders had a big disagreement, and there was a possibility of split. And the issue was not doctrine, but it was something of less importance. It was just an issue of personal preference. And one side wants this, another side prefers this. And consequently, what happened, one party left from the church and transferred to another church. And something you don't want to see, something that you want to avoid from happening. And just because of a less important reason, just because of a trivial reason, and just discouraging or disappointing to think about, but this is the reality that we all face today. During the time of Zechariah, even God's people, particularly the post-exilic Jews who came back from Babylon, experienced discouraging, disappointing news. They had a series of surprising events as they were back in their homeland. If you know the history of the Jews, they were exiled in Babylon for 70 years because they were disciplined by God. They were punished by God because of their disobedience. 
Although for them to be back in Jerusalem deserved a celebration, yet for some it was a discouraging sight to see the rubbles of what remained from the war. And what was further disheartening, their celebration did not last long when sooner or later they encountered several problems. And these people who were just celebrating their return were quickly losing hope and giving up the good news. And from there on, it was bad news after bad news, disappointing or discouraging stories after discouraging stories. By the way, the first batch of exiles and the main party returns to Jerusalem with their leader, Zerubbabel, during 538 BC. And they were given the task to rebuild the temple. Yet there were people who opposed the project vigorously and managed to stop the work in 520 BC. And consequently, the Jews then went to work, not for the temple, but for themselves, leaving behind the temple work. And later on, they got distracted by their own work, by other works, and priorities got jumbled. They had a change of priorities, and they were no longer, no longer mindful of what God has called them to do. And not until prophet Haggai rebuked them, challenged these people, reminded them of their calling, and with the support of King Darius at the time, when the rebuilding of the temple started again. Then in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 7, we read there that during the second year of King Darius' reign, this is when the prophet Zechariah, the contemporary of Haggai, received a vision and began to preach hope to these disgruntled Jews, and so that they'll be encouraged through what Zechariah saw in the vision. So the gist of this message is to encourage God's people to return, to obey, and be faithful because of their bright future and ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. There's going to be an emphasis here on Israel's restoration, and primarily because this passage was addressed mainly to the Jewish nation. But of course, there are universal or timeless truths we can glean or learn from this as a church. And let me make this clear this morning. God is a certain, restored, central future of Jerusalem or central figure, future for Jerusalem among the nations with Him dwelling in her midst. I remember my college professor told us that if you want to know the times, know what's happening in the Middle East. Well, of course, God has, also, God has a certain place for the church also in the future, in His overall plan which the church will be reigning along with Jesus Christ over the whole universe. And when I say church, I'm referring to believers all over the world, regardless of culture and race. And so let me give you a bird's eye view of the entirety of the message, just for, uh, just for you to be guided. So first of all, in verses 1 and 2, we, we read there, uh, we we're going to see the imagery of the vision, and then in verses 3 to 5, the interpretation of this vision, and then in verses 6 to 13, we're going to see the implication of the vision. And under the implication, we find two callings, the call to return and the call to rejoice. 
So how does this message in chapter 2 serve as an encouragement to God's people? Not just during that time, but even to us today as a church. And so let's start with the first point, the imagery of the vision. And let me just read the first two verses again. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what, what is its width and what is its length. For us not to be confused with the characters involved in this chapter, let's first identify each role we find here. First of all, we see here the surveyor described as a man with a measuring line or with a measuring tape. And, there, and there's Zechariah identifying himself as I or me in this chapter. And there's also the interpreting angel who was with Zechariah since chapter 1. And last but not the least, another angel who spoke and commanded the interpreting angel to explain the vision to Zechariah. Now, regarding the man mentioned in verse 1, there is no direct information about this man other than he's surveying the city or measuring the city. There has been much speculation about his identity. Many Bible scholars speculate or identify this as none other than the Lord Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance in that vision. And this man is most likely to be identified with a red horse rider in the first vision in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 8. And the fact that this man is called man is not out of harmony with such appearances and revelations we find in Scripture. If we recall that in Genesis 32, Jacob wrestled with a man whom he later identified as the Lord in human form. And moreover, in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, a passage that is unique, unquestionably speaking about the Messiah, the text says, Behold, a man whose name is Branch. And likewise, Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 2 to 3, refers to this man with a measuring rod, the same image to represent the same future fact. And clearly, this man is the angel of the Lord, who is Christ. And this man then in Zechariah 2 could refer to no one but the Lord Jesus Christ. So the prophet wanted to know where this man was going. And the man said that he was going to measure um, Jerusalem, its length and width. And why? Presumably, presumably so that they can start on the redesigning and rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Laying out the future dimensions of the city. The reason then why this city is being surveyed because it will be expanded. This city will be retrofitted. And so if the man is Jesus here, therefore, Jesus is the author of this rebuilding. Jesus is the author of the, of the coming restoration. And he has a wonderful plan for Israel in the future. And this is, and this is also a fulfillment of God's promise to them in chapter 1 where it says, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Now, one of the major themes of Zechariah is rebuilding or restoration. God would rebuild his people, God would rebuild his temple, and that God would rebuild his city. And what a bright future for the Jewish people 
And if you were a Jew, would this not excite you? Well, God has given them this vision through Zechariah so to encourage these people, to encourage or motivate them to continue rebuilding the temple. The temple at the time was so important. It was central to their culture and spirituality. And moreover, be encouraged in the future restoration of Jerusalem. Remember, they got discouraged. They were disappointed. They were demoralized. And to motivate them, God gave Zechariah several visions. And this is one of the visions that we read here in chapter 2. And God gave them a glimpse of the future. Here's the good news for Israel. God has not left them out. God has not forgotten them. And God has not abandoned his covenant people. In fact, Zechariah's Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. This statement or phrase, the Lord remembers, is prominent in Scripture. Like in Genesis chapter 1, verse, or rather Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, after the rains of the great flood had stopped, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, when the Hebrew slaves cried out to the Lord in Egypt because, you know, in the story, they, they were suffering in Egypt. And in verse 24, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when we hear the word remember, we usually associate it with calling to mind to something that was forgotten, right? That's, that's how we understand the word remember. It's calling to mind what was forgotten. So does it mean that God forgets? Does it mean that God is able to forget and that he remembers? We know that God does not remember things in the sense that he has forgotten. Unlike us, unlike our own limited brains, the mind of God is infinite and all-knowing. God has no limits. And it's not possible for God to forget anything. When the Bible says that God remembered something, it is not implying forgetfulness. As far as God is concerned, God always remembers it is part of His nature. So the statement, God remember, places an emphasis on His faithfulness and everlasting care. It's an expression, the God remember is just an expression that, that God has this ever, that God cares and that He is faithful. And every time we read God remembered in the Bible, we see that the phrase is always followed by some sort of action or work on behalf of his people. And in the case here in Zechariah, God gave them vision. God gave Zechariah a vision or several visions of the future. Now, brothers and sisters, let me ask you this question. Have you had thoughts lately whether God remembers his faithfulness to you? And promises to you? Have you had doubts about God's promises? Circumstances in life and crisis situations could easily cloud our vision of God and could easily cloud His promises. And we may wonder, has God forgotten? Has God left me out? Will God do something? My brothers and sisters who need to be reminded it's not God but us. 
we need not to remind God but ourselves. Although there are instances in Scripture where the people of God cry out to Him and say, Remember, O Lord. Remember, O Lord. Like the psalmist, you would always find this in, 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 in the psalms, saying, Remember, O Lord. But again, it does not imply that God has forgotten. Rather, it impl- what implies is that it, in seasons of fear, we are tempted to think that God has forgotten us. That caused us or God, caused God's people to naturally cry, remember, O Lord. The truth of the matter is that we are the ones who need to be reminded of God's faithfulness, right? We need to be reminded that God is able to carry out His promises, carry out His care for you and me. And we need to be reminded that He's mindful of us. We need to have a fresh vision of God and a fresh reminder of His promises. Our youth workers of this church, you know, just last week had their conference. We had our conference in Baguio. We, were, we went there to attend a conference entitled Refresh. By the way, let me take this opportunity to thank everyone or if anyone here who supported us in prayers and in any way thank you for supporting the youth workers and in that conference there were five topics five uh, main topics that were were tackled refresh your understanding of the gospel second one was refresh your high view of god third one was refresh your um intimacy with god fourth refresh your walk of integrity and then the last one was refresh your commitment to finish well now why why these five topics because these five topics are very important yet can be easily taken for granted basic but very essential essential truths that need to be reiterated that need to be refreshed by it now one of the things that or let me share it to you. One of the truths that we were refreshed is that our God is high and lofty, who lives in eternity, and who dwells with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Now, why is this important? Well, because what we know of God will have a tremendous impact in how we live our moral lives. And if we are to represent God in the right way, We need to know God accurately. And if we don't understand God's sovereignty, if we don't see God as sovereign, we could easily complain to God whenever there are trials and difficulties in life. And so it's very important for us to be refreshed of who God is. The night after that conference, we had a time of debriefing. We had a time of evaluation. So we bunched ourselves together, and then afterwards, we divided ourselves into small groups just to share what the Lord has, has, how the Lord has moved to us personally, how the Lord has spoken to us personally. And I'm just so amazed hearing from some of them. I'm just so amazed how God moved in a very personal way to each and every one. Although we heard the same message together, but they were unique or the unique um, um, passages, or rather unique messages that adjust to us personally, that we were, we were blessed personally, as if the message was personally crafted for us. And because of that, we were blessed, rebuked, and we all got reminded of something. And after that, we regathered 
as a group and then ended the night with, with tearful worship and prayer. And indeed, we were refreshed. Indeed, it was a time of refreshing for us. That's why I praise God. Thank you for praying for us at the time. We, we literally um, approached the Typhoon Rosita, Typhoon Rosita. We went there while Typhoon Rosita, when, when Typhoon Rosita passed through northern Luzon. But all went fine. We, we were, it was just, um, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful time in the conference. To God's people, church, are you discouraged? Are you losing hope? Are you fed up by this negative news you hear every day? Are you taunted by difficult challenges in life? Brothers and sisters, remember, God remembers. Amen? God remembers. And this is why it's important for us to read our Bibles every day. Why we need to meditate our Bible every day. Why we need to study it. Because by it, we are reminded, we are encouraged and refreshed of who God is and what He has done and, and will do. And that's why it's important for us to come to church regularly and join a ministry, join a small group, join any gathering. Because by it, we are reminded, we are encouraged, we are refreshed of who God is, what He has done and will do. And that's why it's important for us to come early during the praise and worship singing. Because as we sing, the, as, we, as we read the lyrics, as we meditate upon the lyrics, we are reminded by it who God is and we are encouraged that we are refreshed of who God is and what he has done and will do and that's why it's important for us to be reminded that God who began a good work in us knowing that he restored us he reconciled us he he built us up together in one body he regenerated us is faithful to complete what he had started our, our God doesn't fall to this what we call Ningas Kugon who has done excellent in the beginning, but unable to finish. God is not like us, but He is faithful, He is constant, He is consistent, He is immutable, He is unchangeable, unstoppable, unshakable, dependable, trustworthy God. And that's why we can rely completely upon our Lord. And so we go to the next point. This time, the interpretation of the vision as we see in verses 3 to 5. So let me want, read, read this once more. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Here again, we, we, we read the reason why it was measured or why it was surveyed because Jerusalem will be expanded. It says Jerusalem will have no walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. I've never been to Jerusalem before or never been to Jerusalem yet. But I know Jerusalem today is filled with so many people, Right? I think it was in 1948, if I got it correctly, when Israel was restored as a sovereign state, state of Israel was proclaimed. During the third Arab-Israeli conflict, the Six-Day War of 1967, Israel again greatly increased its borders, capturing from Jordan, Egypt, and Syria 
the old city of Jerusalem, the Sinai Peninsula, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and the Golan Heights. Does this mean that this particular vision has been fulfilled already today? The answer is no. I don't think so because the language here refers to the future events. This would happen in the, in the millennium when Jesus will come again. And so if today Jerusalem is crammed with, with people, how much more during this time? And one interesting detail is that Jerusalem will have no walls. And we know the walls of the city were the safety net, the, the way to prevent unwanted invaders, to maintain control over who would come in or who would go out. And so no walls means no security, no safety, no refuge, no way to repel invaders, no defenses for protection, right? Although in modern warfare, walls actually are useless because a bomber can just fly through Israel and bomb them and nuke them. But no walls mean it will be an open country. But the reason why there's no need for walls because God will be her wall of fire. God will be her defense, though without walls, the Jerusalem will dwell secure because of God's divine protection. The phrase wall of fire is reminiscent of the pillar of fire at the Exodus. In other words, Jerusalem or the new Jerusalem does not need walls or even gates to protect, to protect them because Jesus is present. Jesus will be present during this time his manifest presence will be there in jerusalem and how would this relate to us to you and me today how would this relate to you and me today as god's people we also put up our quote unquote walls whatever it is we consider as walls which would serve as our security our safety net our defense we find refuge in it instead of putting our confidence, our safety, and security in the hands of God. This happens when we forget the very presence of God in our lives. We fear, we, we, we stumble, we, we get anxious, we get disturbed because we forget that God is with us. And at times when our reputation is attacked or when we get criticized, we probably take matters into our own hands to defend ourselves instead of allowing God to defend us. As believers of the Lord, let's remember that our defense is not people. Our defense is not money. Our defense is not position. But our wall of protection, our, or the church wall of protection is God himself, right? He is our wall of protection. Let's give the Lord a big hand. And not only during this time, God will be Jerusalem's defense, but also His glory will be with her. It's another promise, wonderful promise. God will be the glory within Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord that prophet Ezekiel saw leaving the holy city in Ezekiel 11.22 will return and dwell among the people at this time. And this is also what, uh, this is also fulfills Isaiah's words when he said, The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, 
and all flesh shall see it together. That's why I believe the fulfillment of this vision is the second coming of Jesus Christ when Jesus will reign again. And Jesus' manifest presence is the glory within. So more than the protection, the glory depicts the Messiah's blessing and personal presence in his earthly kingdom. The picture here is that Jesus is the center of worship. That he is powerful and important. The city is not important. What makes, this imp what makes the city beautiful and adorned is the presence of Jesus Christ. And in the New Testament, we see a parallel truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, Apostle Paul speaks of, Jesus, of the glory of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God, but unbelievers cannot see this glory. Why? Because their minds have been blinded by Satan. And that's why there's many of the people today cannot see the beauty of Jesus Christ because their minds have been blinded by Satan. And not unless God enlightens the mind of the person, only then or he or she can see the glory of Christ. Apostle Paul then pointed out that this glory is within us, is within the church. Paul considered it as the treasure in jars of clay. We are jars of clay. My brothers and sisters, what makes this life beautiful is the presence of Jesus Christ. What makes our gathering special is the presence of Jesus Christ. And if not, of, if, 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 if there's no, if God's presence is not here with us, our, our gathering is useless. Our life is nothing apart from the presence of Jesus Christ in this life. And thus, He should be the center of our lives, the center of worship, and that's why we should boast not upon our beauty, not upon our strength, not upon our ability, but we, we boast upon Jesus Christ in us. And God's presence is our greatest blessing. His presence is our greatest asset. And His presence is our greatest joy. As what Psalm 16, 11 tells us, in your presence there is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we need the presence of God. But you know what? Sin hinders the experience of God's presence. Sin has caused us to be separated from God's presence. And that is why God in grace paid the price for our sins. God in, in, in Jesus became man. He walked among humanity and died on the cross for our, on our behalf. And God overcomes man's sin. God in Jesus Christ bridged the gap. And in Jesus, we have been forgiven. That's why Jesus Christ reconciles us back to the Father. He reopens that access back to the Father that we may draw near and experience His presence once again. The presence of, Jesus, the presence of God finds its greatest expression in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the presence of God is the means and the end of redemption. And by the way, there's a command here from the other angel in verse 4, from the other angel to the interpreting angel, to hurry in telling Zechariah, to interpret, uh, to tell Zechariah the interpretation of the vision. And there's a wonderful message that needs to be told. 
I noticed that in, in, in the prophecy, whenever there's an important message to be disclosed or revealed in prophecy, there's always the command to run, which implies urgency or importance. And today, we are not to tarry in telling the good news to other people, right? We are not to tarry in telling the good news of Jesus Christ to our friends, to our family, relatives, to our neighbor. And there's this wonderful news that needs to be shared. And if the prophets would delay a warning, judgment will fall upon them soon enough. And it was a matter of urgency and importance. And so we go to the third point, the implication of the vision. In light of the vision, there's a call for, for the Jews to come home. There's the call to, for them to return, to return to Jerusalem, to flee from Babylon, from wherever, from wherever they are because God had scattered them abroad. The phrase or the words, four winds, is used primarily to describe the whole of the earth or heaven. The four winds encompass all directions or the four corners of the earth, south, north, east, west. And so it just means that all around or everywhere, and today, Jewish people, the, the Jews are scattered all over abroad. Even we have them here in our city. Even one time, I think several months ago, I had a, I had a privilege to sit uh, with a couple who were Jews. And, and I, I noticed that um, I was in a coffee shop and I noticed that they were Jews because the husband was wearing this little hat on, on, on his head. And so I approached and asked, are you a Jew? And then the husband said, yes, we are a Jew. And so I had the privilege to chat with them. We shared the same table and get to know them. Even I, I gave my Facebook uh, account to them as well just to, befriend, just to befriend them. And they're everywhere. And, and, and here in this passage, there's a call, an immediate uh, call for the immediate recipients, first of all, at the time, who some of them were left in Babylon but also this implies a call to the future generation, and that might include today, to escape from the future Babylon as, as, what we, can, as, as we read this in Revelation chapter 18. And the reason why they are to live so that they might experience the blessings that God will bestow upon Jerusalem. And also to escape the judgment that is going to befall on Babylon. The expression, up, up, or hoder in New American Standard Bible functions as a prelude to judgment. This was an urgent call for people to escape the lands of their oppressors before the judgment of God fell on those cities. And at that time, in the Old Testament, Babylon was soon to fall before King Darius. And God will do this to avenge his people. God will judge those who abused his people. And why? Because verse 8 tells us, He who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And you know what? The phrase apple of his eye, before I thought it, it means that, I, I thought it means that it's the literal apple. And that when you are hungry and, you know, and, and you saw an apple, Apple is something that you like to eat, so you fix your gaze upon that apple. That's, that's how I understand. I understood it before. Not until I, I studied this, and then I realized that my, 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 my understanding is so way different. 
And the apple of his eye rather means the pupil of the eye. This hollowed out block um, part of the eye, this middle, you know, our, this pupil. So this phrase is used to describe something delicate, precious, easily injured, and thus demanding protection. And so what God is communicating here is that when you mess with his people, it's like you are trying to poke God's eye. And you don't want to poke God's eye. God will protect his eye, of course. Or God, in other words, God will protect his people. And that's scary. You don't want to do that. When you are an enemy of Israel, you are an enemy of God. And if you are a Jew and hearing this message, would this not encourage you? Would it not comfort you? But my brothers and sisters, we don't have to be a Jew to be encouraged with this message because we too today as a church is the apple of his eye. And that's why the church is the apple of his eye because he, Jesus loves the church. He died for the church. He loves the church so much. The church is his bride and you and I is the apple of God's eye. And in verse 9, the Lord announces that he will wave his hand over, over them, over Israel's enemies. It's just a physical just gesture for divine judgment. All God needs to do is just to wave his hand. Like, bye-bye. All, all what God needs to do is just to wave his hand against the enemies of Israel and it will prostrate all foes. And this is how powerful God is. And we also read the kind of punishment that they will experience. Those who plundered Israel shall be plundered by the servants. Those who serve them shall become their servants. In other words, the enslavers will become enslaved. Master becomes slave. Slave becomes master. And we know what happened to Babylon. Through King Darius who took Babylon after a siege of 20 months and put great numbers to death, and all became a spoil to the Persians who had been their servants. But again, the language here also speaks of future judgment. It has, uh, there's a future fulfillment pertaining to what God will do to the nations today. And when the time comes, everyone will recognize Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The nations today, will fight Jesus Christ. But obviously, they won't win. Why? Because our Lord is the Lord of the heaven's armies. Because our Lord is the Lord of hosts, as what we read here in this chapter. They won't win. They won't win. And today, most of the Jews do not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. There's only a handful of them. But in that day, everyone will just recognize Jesus. Every Jew will recognize him as their Messiah. And because God is calling them to return home. And I want to make an application here about the call to flee Babylon and return to the promised land. God's people were in Babylon because of their disobedience or sin of rebelliousness. It was God's will for them at that moment for them to be exiled in Babylon as part of his discipline to them and then come back after 70 years. Some of them stayed and probably got used in living in Babylon, but it was not God's ultimate will for them. 
as God's people, let me ask you this. Let me ask all of you. Where you are today, are you sure it is where it is where God wants you to be? Where you are at today, are you sure it is where God wants you to be? And how sure are you? Because we don't prefer, prefer God's permissive will over His perfect will. Although at times He allows or He permits us to be where we are even when we are outside of His will. And that is for us to learn the lessons and be corrected. And after a period of pruning, he wants us then to live in perfect obedience and faithfulness. Just like wilderness was not a, a permanent, you know, permanent place for the Israelites. When they were roaming for 40 years, wilderness was not the permanent place where God wants them to be. It was just a period of time wherein God was molding them and sanctifying them. And just as he did not intend the people of Judah, the exiles, to stay permanently in Babylon, but it was just for a short period of time, and for over 70 years, and after which they are to come back because God's original plan is Jerusalem. And there might be times that we drift away from God's perfect will. He allows us to sanctify us, to teach us a lesson, but it's not God's intention for us to stay there. To stay permanently outside of His will. And after we learn that lessons, He calls us to return home. He calls us back to His perfect will. Why? Because in His perfect will, there's blessing. His perfect will is the best place that we should be. His perfect will, uh, rather, there's no safer place than to be in the perfect will of God. In, perf in, in His perfect will, we are protected, we are taken care, and we experience His sweet presence. And on, on the other hand, we also don't want God's judgment to befall upon us. Remember uh, Lot in, in Genesis 19? When God was going to, when, ab when God was about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, in, in that chapter, persisted to remain. He doesn't want to go away. He doesn't want to run away from Sodom. And if he was not grabbed by the angels, he would have died there and then. And he would have died there. And while God was destroying the city, Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now, brothers and sisters, today, God won't judge us. God, God won't judge us anymore how, um, what our sins deserve, but He doesn't want us to live, um, live, it, live with it as well. We don't want to linger outside of God's will or else we will regret it. You are inviting God's discipline upon you if you, if you continue to stay there. That's why, brothers and sisters, don't stay in Babylon. Don't stay in your Babylon. And God can shake his hand upon you and you will suffer and become a casualty because you are being hard-headed. And brethren, that's why flee from sin. Don't play with sin. Don't flirt with sin. Don't linger in sin. In this world, you know what? In order for our soul to survive, we need to learn to flee. And just like Joseph, remember? Joseph when Potiphar's wife attempted to seduce him, what did he do? He did not stay in the house. 
He ran away. He fled. And you flee when it is too dangerous to remain where you are. When standing still or delaying would put you in peril. That's why don't stay in your Babylon. Return. In the New Testament, we find several exhortations of fleeing. Like in 1 Corinthians 6.18, we're told, flee from sexual immorality. In 1 Corinthians 10.14, flee from idolatry. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, flee from the love of money. We are to flee from materialism. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22, flee youthful passions. This talks about self-indulgence and selfish ambitions. And of course, not only we are to flee from it or we are to go away from it, but we, but we are to return to the Lord. We are to return to righteousness. We are to pursue righteousness. And that's why, so that's why, brothers and sisters, if we find ourselves today outside of God's will, up, up, haw there, return. Return to the Lord. Flee and return to the Lord. Don't tarry because God's word tells us so. And not only there's the call to flee and return, but there's also the call to rejoice. In verse 10, sing and rejoice. O daughter of Zion. Here we see a disconsolate or unhappy people of God groaning in Jerusalem. And why they're unhappy? Well, besides the situation they were in and challenges they were facing at the time, but probably some of, the, some of them lost family, lost their family, and probably some of them left their family back in Babylon. Maybe some of them, you know, lost friends, the friends that were, they were growing up with. And they are poorer in Jerusalem than they were in, than, than when they lived in Babylon. They've lost so much and maybe burdened by the guilt of the past. But in the midst of this, God calls them to sing and rejoice. God calls them to exalt Him. God calls them to worship Him. And why they are to sing and rejoice? For three notable reasons. First reason, the promise of His abiding presence. They are to sing and rejoice because of the promise of His abiding presence. God speaks to them and telling them, I am coming and will dwell in your midst. And again, this talks about the manifest presence of Jesus Christ. And this announcement could be a reference to the first advent, but the language clearly speaks of the second advent. The greatest blessing for them is the very presence of God. And this is the ultimate hope of restoration of their fellowship with God. And God, who is Jesus, who is Emmanuel, will be with them, with, will be with his people once again. And the second reason, the expansion of blessing to the Gentiles. The coming blessings will be enjoyed by many nations that have joined themselves to the covenant. Not just the Jews who will enjoy the blessings of the covenant, but believers all over the world, Chinese, Americans, Filipinos, Africans, every man and woman from the north, south, west, east, Jews and Gentiles together as God's redeemed people. Because God's people are made up of all nations. And we see this as a fulfillment of, uh, of Matthew 24, 14, wherein the gospel will be preached in, in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. 
the preaching of the missionaries abroad won't be in vain because people from different nations, from different tribes will come to worship Jesus Christ during this time. And this is absolutely guaranteed. And that's why Jerusalem must be without walls. Jerusalem must be without walls because it will be packed not just with Jewish people but with people from different nations. And this is why God is, 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 is doing a survey because He wants to expand Jerusalem. And the words without walls reflect the inclusiveness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, it's a good news for not just for one group of people but it's good news for every people in the world today. And what a sight to behold during that time. Even now, God allows us to have that glimpse. When we are worshiping God with brothers and sisters from different culture, it's a glimpse of what is to come. That's why the issue today is not Jew versus Gentile, but believer versus unbeliever. It's not important whether the person is a Jew or Gentile, but the question is, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Are you a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the last reason why they are to sing and rejoice is the vindication of the Lord's sovereign election of Judah. The fact that nations will come to faith in the Lord does not remove the Lord's election of Jerusalem and its people as the covenant people. God's covenant with them is everlasting. His calling is irrevocable. And once and for all, and even in spite of the Israelites' unfaithfulness in the past, God will choose again Jerusalem as His city. Israel is still God's chosen people today because our God is a covenant-keeping, promised God. And God's unconditional promises are not invalidated by the unfaithfulness of Israel of any, or of any man because nothing we do surprises God. God is sovereign, past present and future and he does not need to adjust his plans according to the way we behave and what he has ordained for both israel and the church will come to pass regardless of the circumstances today and today we have so many reasons to rejoice and bless god as a church right we have so many reasons today as a church to bless god to sing and praise our god and Jesus, through the Spirit, dwells in us. He has forgiven us of all our sins. He has adopted us into His family. We have this 24-7 access to God. And many are called, but few are chosen. Remember this. Many are called, but few are chosen. In the depravity of man, I want us to understand that man is unable to save himself. That by ourselves, we are unable to choose God. And if, if God did not choose to save us, you and I won't be here today. We won't be here today if God did not choose us. But you and I are here today. You and I are saved because God chose to. Does that not make you feel loved and feel blessed? That God has chosen you. In Romans 8.30, And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified we call this as the golden chain of salvation notice that all verb here is in past tense it means it's a done deal 
It means that God has ordained and secured not just our conversion, but God has secured our future. That's why our future is clear. And by the way, in verse 12, note that the word holy land is the only place in the Bible that it is used. It will become holy because God's presence will be there. Of course, today it's being called holy land, but what makes it holy because of the presence of God? And even us today as a church, in Peter we are told, be holy for I am holy because we have the holy presence of God in us. That's why we are to live a holy life. And before we come to close, in verse 13, I love this passage. I love this verse. In verse 13, the passage ends in a resounding This passage ends in a resounding and majestic note. And a word of caution for all the people today. It tells us here, be silent all flesh. Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. The original word here is hush, translated as be silent. It's like when you are so loud, when you are so noisy, and somebody will just tell you, shh. This is the word here, used here. This is the word being used here, hush. The Gentile today, or rather the Gentile nations today, prided themselves under power and unbelieving Jews who distrusted God's promises. Non-believers today speak arrogantly and so loud against God's people blatantly blaspheming, blatantly offending and mocking God today. And today, God is just being patient with the world, refraining from taking decisive action. While He has been patient, refraining from the action which His holiness says He must take, man has allowed to speak foolish, arrogant, and blasphemous words against the Most High God and against his people. But a day will come when he will silence all flesh. A day will come when he will judge every man, every woman, every boy, every child, every, every daughter, every girl by their thoughts and words and actions which they did or should have done. And everyone at that day will bow in silence and will be put to shame. During Judah's exile in Babylon, God was seemed silent for 70 years. God seemed inactive for, for, for during those years. But the time has ended. Today, the world is so messy. Today, the people are so wild and abusive. Even the world is groaning because of people. We hear bad news after bad news. And it seems God is asleep. Seems like God is asleep. And people even question God's care. Yet with all the clamor and arrogance of the nations all around the world today, God will one day emerge from his throne room on behalf of his people. And God won't be silent anymore. And all those who opposes God and his people will be silent. When God, when the Lord springs into action, 
you better watch out. You better watch out. Amen? And that is our future. That is something that we can expect or we will ex that we will experience in the future. In conclusion, although this is a vision intended primarily for the Jewish nation, but the fact that the future of God's people includes us should not cause us to be lazy, should not cause us to be complacent, should not, but rather should cause us to be zealous for God. You know, one, one of the reasons why we are not busy doing God, the Lord's work, why we are lazy, why we are complacent, and it's because we do not have a clear vision of the future. Yes, at times we need to look back of God's faithfulness to us, but we also need to look ahead of, of our sure future, of, our, of His sure promises to inspire us. We need to, look, we need to look forward. We need to look to the future, future because we are a people of bright destiny. And we have a sure and beautiful destiny ahead of us. And, this, this, and we know this because God is going to come again soon. And we know this because our God is faithful. And we know this because we are His people and we are His beloved people. And we know this because God doesn't lie. And we know this because we have the Holy Spirit in us as a deposit as a, to guarantee all His promises. And our future speaks of sure victory, sure justice, sure hope, and sure restoration. And that's why our future is not gloomy, but very bright. And that's why for God's people, it will be a happy ending story, right? It will be a happy ending story. So brothers and sisters, when you are discouraged, impatient because of the happenings around if you are tempted to give up, if you're in despair, wanting to throw in the towel, with the eyes of faith, look into His Word. Look far, look beyond, and look up to God because we have a bright future. I love what Romans 8, 18 tells us. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Brothers and sisters, behold our future Behold our God. Amen. And last thing, God's revelation was not given to satisfy our curiosity. God's revelation was not given to satisfy the Jewish, Jews' curiosity of what will happen in the future. But rather, God's revelation was given to encourage His people, to encourage us today to return, to obey, to be faithful to Him, to our calling, and to do the Lord's work. Amen? Can we give the Lord a big clap of offering? Can we all stand as we close in prayer together? Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful, Lord, and encouraged just to know, Lord, that we have a bright future ahead of us. Today, Lord, we even suffer from what we hear and see, oh God, every day. At times we complain, we grumble. At times, oh God, we, we are just discouraged and disappointed. 
demoralized, O oh Lord, of what's happening today as we see and hear every day around. Lord, first of all, we just want to thank you for sealing us your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you, we have your presence in us, O oh God. We thank you that in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us. You said, Lord, that even before the creation of the world, you have chose us. Chose us to be holy and blameless in your sight. In love, Lord, you predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to your pleasure and will. And we are kept by your power, O Lord God. So, Father, we thank you for this wonderful news, O Lord. And not only, Lord, that we are saved by grace in Jesus Christ, but we are assured, Lord, of our future redemption. And Lord, may we live in line with our calling. May we live in line with our destiny. And Lord, may we return to you if we are lost. If some of us, Lord, if we are wandering around, if we see ourselves as lost, and may we go back to you, Lord. May we return to you. May we pursue you, O oh God. May we pursue Jesus Christ and obey and live inside of your perfect will. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word, O oh Lord. And thank you for even how you have blessed us, O Lord God, not just with your word, but with even the things that we need in this life. We commit to you. We thank you also, Lord, for the tithes and grace gifts, the offerings, O Lord. We pray that may you use this, Lord, for the furtherance of your kingdom. Father, whatever has been achieved to you today, this morning, to you be the glory, honor, and thanks. We give you thanks and praise, O God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.